High Truths on Drugs and Addiction, where national experts bring you facts and answer your questions. I'm your host, Dr. Onit Lev, an emergency and addiction doctor who has served at the White House and still practices on the front lines. Right here on High Truths, you will learn from experts from around the globe and around all aspects of drugs and addiction. Today's episode is sponsored by Isaac, their National Academy on the Science and Impact of Cannabis. Visit their website at isaacone.org, I-A-S-I-C-1.org, to follow the science on marijuana. Friends, fentanyl is plaguing America. There is no safe drug supply unless it comes from a legal pharmacy. If you are around anyone who may be using drugs, you should carry naloxone, the opioid reversal agent. Carrying naloxone for drugs is like carrying an EpiPen for allergies. Come visit me on hightruths.com to learn more about the show, submit a question, or download a free prescription for naloxone. Hello again, High Truth listeners, and get ready for a mindful conversation. I'm your host, Dr. Onit Love. I say mindful because we will be talking about protecting the mind when it comes to marijuana. And 420, because April 20th has been promoted as a day to smoke marijuana. But instead, here at High Truths, 420 is dedicated to celebrating your mind, your beautiful brain that is inspiring and free of weed. You can see and maybe hear that I am not at my regular High Truth studio and rather traveling on the road. I am broadcasting from the Westin Hotel at Kansas City, Missouri, or Missouri, where I was invited to speak to the Missouri Medical Association and shout out for the very lovely invitation. The big marijuana industry, like big tobacco, is out for profits. They're motivated by dollars. And what better way to make more money than by creating lifelong customers? To increase profits, cannabis products have increased variety, increased potency, and target youth whose brain is not done growing. That creates lifelong customers. Nothing wrong with making money. We live in a capitalist society. I have no objection to that. However, I do take issue when it comes to public health and placing a cost on society and our youth. I was recently in Vienna in March for the United Nations Commission on Narcotic Drugs, the CND. And a big thank you to Dr. Kevin Sabet with Smart Approaches on Marijuana, Sam, and Amy Ronschausen from Drug Free America Foundation to speak on marijuana. I talked about the public health impacts of marijuana legalization in California and the daily emergency department visits that I see related to marijuana poisoning. At the United Nations, it was very interesting for me to hear the different countries speak about their perspective on drugs. The country that most impacted me was Syria. Syria is a worn toward country. They spoke about cannabis is harming and suppressing their youth, and they were very much against it. I support protecting the brain and protecting the mind and helping our children, young adults, and everyone make informed decisions. And with that, let's hear our question of the day. Hello, Dr. Love. My name is Albert Milena, Executive Director of the San Fernando Valley Partnership. We are a nonprofit organization dedicated to developing community-level prevention initiatives. I would like to begin by expressing our appreciation for your efforts in promoting addiction treatment and prevention. 
The partnership is actively addressing the unintended consequences of cannabis legalization and the increasing availability of cannabis and hemp-derived cannabinoids. We are deeply concerned about the rising rates of youth consumption and the increasing number of cannabis-related emergencies on school campuses. As we know, cannabis use can have adverse effects on the developing teen brain, including attention, memory, and learning problems. We are also concerned about the increasing potency of marijuana products, which could potentially amplify the risks of the negative effects on the developing teen brain. Edible marijuana products are particularly concerning, especially for young people, due to the difficulties in controlling the dosage and the slower onset of the effects. As we aim to keep our young people safe, we need to develop effective strategies and messaging. With that in mind, my question for the podcast is, what are some potential strategies and messaging that can help protect our youth from the potential harms associated with cannabis and hemp-derived cannabinoids? Thank you, Albert, for protecting young minds and your important work on prevention. I know you are supporting California legislation along with me that would protect children from dangerous cannabis candies. It is sad to repeatedly hear about kids getting poisoned at school for marijuana candies and the daily, daily visits of cannabis poisonings that are flooding our emergency departments. I support the California Cannabis Candy Child Protection Act in order to keep our kids safe. And to answer your question, let's talk to an adolescent psychologist who devotes her career on prevention strategies in youth. Dr. Bonnie Halpern Felscher is a developmental psychologist whose research has focused on cognitive and psychological factors involving adolescents and young adults, health-related decision-making, perception of risk and vulnerability, health communication, and risk behavior. She's founder and director of Toolkits for Tobacco Prevention, Cannabis and Awareness Prevention, and Vaping Solutions. The California Department of Public Health, CDPH, along with the California Department of Education, has a campaign launched as counter-marketing to protect our kids and young adults. Mind Over Marijuana is a campaign for teens, and Let's Talk Cannabis is a campaign for parents. To learn more about Dr. Bonnie Halpern Felscher and the PR campaigns by CDPH, check out the High Truth show notes. Dr. Bonnie Halpern Felscher, welcome to High Truths. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to have you here, especially that this is the week of uh, April 20th, and we're going to talk about how to protect your brain rather than getting high. Yes. So, um, Bonnie, you are a developmental psychologist. Can you tell us about your career path? Absolutely. So hi, everyone. I am a developmental psychologist. I also then went on to do further training in adolescent and young adult health. And my research and my prevention work really focus on understanding adolescent health-related decision-making, and particularly around drug use, so cannabis, tobacco, co-use. And why are teens using what is their use doing to their brains and rest of their bodies? And then how can we help adolescents to understand the risks and help prevent, or if they are already using, at least reduce or stop using altogether? That's awesome. So you are the perfect person to answer Albert's question. Albert works in prevention and youth, and he asked, what are the campaign strategies and messages that we need to be sharing about protecting the brain uh, from marijuana? So you've recently uh, have helped launch some campaigns uh, with the California Department of Public Health. Uh, tell us about that. 
Absolutely. So one very important message that we could be giving, particularly to teens, is that the your brains are continuing to develop until you're around age 25. And anything that we introduce into our brain that is a substance, so whether it's THC, nicotine, anything, but here we're talking about cannabis and THC, actually changes your brain and can affect your brain. And it affects the brain development. And by using THC during adolescence, we're significantly more likely to become addicted to that substance. But it's not just brain development and, excuse me, it's not just brain development or THC addiction we're worried about. We also know that using cannabis can affect our memory, can affect our school functioning, our academic achievement, and also can make it harder for those of, of us who are being who are stressed or having anxiety. So we know that adolescents are more likely to turn to drugs to self-medicate, particularly when they're feeling anxious or stressed. But one important message to give to teens is actually using cannabis does not help stress and anxiety. It actually makes it worse because you're constantly thinking because you might be addicted. You're constantly thinking, when can I get that next hit? And when you don't have that next hit, when you're going through withdrawal symptoms, you're feeling sick, you're feeling uncomfortable, it's actually making you more anxious. And that is something that a lot of adolescents don't understand. And we can also give messages to parents and guardians. It's really important that parents and guardians are honest and open and have a dialogue with their teenagers and not just a lecture. It's important to make them feel heard, to feel seen, to have a conversation. You know, Johnny or son or daughter, what do you know about cannabis? What have you heard? Let's have a dialogue to, together. And to really talk to them about supporting them about the risks of using cannabis to the brain, some of the risks that we just talked about around brain development and addiction, but also the fact that use can affect our lungs, can affect other parts of our body. So it's important for parents, guardians, other adults, and teens to have that open and honest dialogue. So now the California Department of Public Health partnered with the rescue agency in order to have a campaign, right? And one of the campaigns for kids is Mind Over Matter. Uh, marijuana affects so parts of the body. I'm the emergency physician. And it's like when so many, you know, your heart, your lungs, your, your brain, your, your pancreas, you know, so many parts. How did you decide to focus on mind over marijuana? Absolutely. I mean, we know that the flavors and the marketing bring a young person to want to use cannabis, but it is the brain and the addiction that really keeps young people continuing to use and has such profound effect on everything, not only brain development and addiction, but on school, on academic achievement, on memory, on our understanding of the world. And so that is the first and foremost aspect of THC and addiction that we're worried about. The other areas of lung health and, and heart and hypoemesis, vomiting, other things that we're worried about are absolutely there. But if we can get a young person to not be addicted, if we can get a young person not to start, or if they're starting to, to cut back, then we're going to reduce all those other health effects that come with using cannabis. So starting with understanding the brain, understanding the role that cannabis 
plays in stress and anxiety would and should, and studies really would suggest this, that overall we would have fewer teens using because they're not becoming addicted. So that's why, and, and, it'll, and our brains do continue to develop. It's part of what is so cool about teens is the development of the brain makes teens able to think, to learn language, to, to be creative, but that a lot of teens don't realize that during that time of creativity is when they're more likely to become addicted. And so that is a really primary, it's not the only, but it is the primary area for focusing for teenagers. So Mind Over Marijuana is the uh, Department of Public Health campaign uh, in reaching out to youth. You can see their websites on Mind Over uh, Marijuana. I'll have it in the show notes. And perhaps our audience, I think, would enjoy watching a short video uh, that was produced about that. So let's, let's watch. They say you never know the true value of a moment until it becomes a memory. Happy moments, funny moments. Shared moments, memories that shape who we are, they could all be at risk. But using weed before your brain is done growing can change the way your brain works. The THC in weed can impact your attention and ability to remember things. And that's something you can't get back. Learn more at mindovermarijuana.com. So that was a very interesting short clip, uh, hopefully reaching uh, kids to uh, prevent they want to remember things, right? So that this is showing them that the memory is affected. Um, one of the things I thought of when I watched this is what if people don't want to remember, right? There's a lot of uh, trauma in young people's lives now and things that they may not want to remember. I'm, I'm wondering if that uh, talks to that as well. Yeah, it's, a, it's actually a really, really good question. And you're absolutely right. Right now, we're seeing teenagers, especially through the pandemic, who are just so anxious and so depressed. And they, they may not want to remember what happened in the last few years. Uh, parents losing jobs, losing loved ones to the pandemic, all kinds of stress, being home, being bored, uh, struggling with school, struggling with emotions. It's, it's, it's always a confusing time for teenagers during a middle and high school, but particularly over the last few years. So it does make sense that some teens may want to forget. What's important when we talk to teens is not just the effect on the brain, but that there are better ways to cope. There are other ways to deal with strength, stress and anxiety, whether we're talking about exercising or, or cooking or watching a fun video or listening to music or whatever else makes them happy and help them understand that while they may forget something, it's not a good forget. What happens with THC and any drug that we put into our body is it's hijacking that reward system. It's hijacking, hijacking the feeling of dope, what dopamine does to us, the feeling of high or euphoria or pleasure. It's hijacking that system and it's giving us a false sense, sense excuse me, giving us a false sense of pleasure. And what we want to do is help adolescents understand that there are better ways to deal with memory or to cope with those memories and part of our lives and part of being human is not just to get rid of emotions or get rid of difficult feelings but learn how to cope with it because we're going to continue to have stress throughout our whole lives 
And rather than have that false sense of pleasure, it's important to learn how to get real senses of pleasure, things that really truly make us happy and not happy because it's being done through chemicals. Right. And that's why there's a second video, right? So we want to, kids to protect their brains and allow their brains to grow and fill with good things, um, whether it's, you know, music or dance or art or math or social interactions. Um, this is a time, prime time for growth. And uh, I, I say that marijuana stunts the, your growth. Um, and But also, if you're thinking about why kids go to drugs in the first place is to fill some type of either uh, social um, anxiety or depression and they're taught to reach out for that and use that as a crutch which is not um, you know not a good long-term solution even if it may even help temporarily and that's why there's a second video we want to show um, our high truth audience called comes back which is talking about upstream even from drug use is how to deal with anxiety um, not using drugs. So let's watch that. Life can be a lot sometimes. Weed might seem like a harmless way to deal with stress, but using it in your teens can have the reverse effect. That's because the THC and weed can attach to the receptors in your brain that control fear and anxiety, making it harder to manage stress and anxiety on your own. So while you think your problems are going away, they're actually still waiting for you. Learn how to manage stress without weed at mindovermarijuana.com. All right. Well, that was a great video. What's your What's your take? I think it is a fantastic video, and I think it's really important. We can't just say to teens, don't. We know that from many years ago, it doesn't work to just simply say, don't do something, don't use there's a reason why teens are using drugs. There's a reason why they're using cannabis, as you were saying before, because they really are stressed. They really are dealing with difficult memories, difficult current issues. But we can't just simply say don't. We have to give them a way to replace those feelings, to replace that need. So learning how to cope, learning how to deal with, learning how to deal with stress and anxiety and depression and whatever they're going through and having additional resources is so important for young people. And so the California Department of Public Health campaign, uh, coupled with Rescue's work, has been so important to help adolescents and will continue to help adolescents cope and deal with the issues that they're dealing with right now, which are very real, very, very real stress and coping that they're needing right now. So these videos, where are they available? They're available on the website. They're available on YouTube. How are they reaching our, our youth? Um, so yes, they are reaching our youth through many different ways, getting through on YouTube. Uh, we're hoping that they'll be shown in schools, that there'll be uh, parents can sit down and watch these videos with their with their children. Classrooms can use them, even healthcare providers. So we're really hoping that the reach will be very wide uh, to, to really be able to reach uh, adolescents, and young adults across the state, no matter where they are, no matter their, their demographic backgrounds, rural, urban, uh, suburban, wherever it is, that it's really important to get the word out and really hope that adolescents are watching and, and maybe maybe watching with friends and having discussions or maybe watching with a trusted adult to be able to have a conversation is going to be so incredibly important to reach young people, which is what we're all about. 
Yeah, and I actually did visit the website, and hopefully these um, videos can draw people into the website and have them, if they want more information and want to have more of the science, they're able to, to, do, to do that. You know, the other thing that struck me about this whole campaign, it's, it's one campaign, um, and yet everywhere around um, our kids youth, adult, every all age groups are seeing billboards, commercials, TV shows that really promote marijuana um, as medicine, as safe, as, you know, fun. Um, how is this one campaign going to make a difference? Is this is this going to have an impact, do you think? Or is it just not enough? I'm just wondering about how much can one thing do this? We need this message like constantly, every day, just like um, we're hearing from from the marketing size and the retail side of marijuana. Absolutely. So it, it, you're absolutely right. We're we're not going to have one aspect, which is why this campaign is so important because it's not only talking to youth, but it's also talking to parents and having parents be equipped with resources and talking points that they can use to talk to their sons and their daughters, their children. It, it's important to do that. It's important that we talk to teens about their social well-being, their emotional well-being, their brain development, their lung development, everything that's going on. And, and oh, it'd be my hope that we have that we're really coming at and, and talking to teens from multiple perspectives. So through these campaigns, which are so important, again, from the youth perspective, but also from the parent side, I'm hoping that schools will use some of these resources and other resources that are available to be able to talk to teens in classes, health education classes, PE, those are all important times. Science, science can talk about the science of your lungs, biology class, uh, economic classes or math classes can talk about the, the financial cost of having trouble in school, maybe not finishing school, not getting your grades. We really do need to have this be a perspective from all different angles so that we teens don't just hear the same lecture over and over again, but they understand how it affects their lives through multiple channels, that's going to be super important for them to hear from all of us. It's important, even with the ads that we're seeing in the billboards to do counter marketing, you saw this ad, or you or show it to them and say, you know, how can we counter this? What does that mean? Teenagers, how are you being targeted? Why are you being targeted? I think it's important to teens to understand that the industry targets them because if we can addict young people to cannabis, we're going to have them continue using. And why does the industry want to do that? For dollars. It's not because they're caring about their health. They want the money. And, and that is an important message for young people to hear. Young people don't just care about long-term health. They care about now. They care about decisions they can make. They care about school. They care about social and their social and emotional well-being. And so trying to ground everything that we say to what teens latch on to today is really important. So if you say to a teen, you're, you're being manipulated. The industry is coming after you because they want you as a lifetime user. They want your brains. Teens go, wait a second. I'm mad about that. You're not controlling my life. I control my life. And that's how we get teens to have that conversation. Just saying it's bad for you 
doesn't work. Saying it, it it's bad because it makes life more difficult. It makes life more challenging. You're being targeted. They're doing this on purpose. They're marketing to you. All those billboards, all those ads, all, all the social media you see that helps teenagers start to realize what's happening and, and to frustrate them, which is what we're trying to do. So that's why I'm a big believer in different angles of approaching parents, schools, uh, social media, these big campaigns, the different websites, and, and putting them in front of teens so they can see similar, consistent, but slightly angled differently messages towards them is really important. Yeah, and, and I am really applaud the Department of Public Health and Department of Education for doing this. We need it. It's about time, and I think they need a, a even bigger budget. Um, this is primary prevention, upstream prevention. Um, and, you know, we have a crisis of mental health in our youth, and um, all the cannabis that they're doing is not helping. It's fueling um, the problem. And I like the fact that you're reaching out to to, ki to kids and to parents separately to tell them that they can make a difference. The Mind Over Marijuana campaign is for kids, and there's another campaign, Let's Talk Cannabis, for for parents. And parents may, what do, what's the perspective of parents when it comes to marijuana? It's like, well, can they control, can they control their kids? What influence do parents have? As a developmental psychologist who does a lot of uh, work towards parents and with parents trying to, to get them to work with their teens, you know, parents have a much bigger influence on their teens' lives than parents realize. Teens may look like they're shutting out parents. Teens may look like they're ignoring parents, but they're generally hearing parents. And they may not hear at that very moment, but they're hearing them. And what, what parents need to know and do is not have a lecture. It's a conversation. It's saying, what together can we learn? How can we talk about this? And that's why I was saying before, to have teenagers feel seen and heard is really, really important. Often when I talk to parents, I say, you know, you don't schedule a conversation. You don't say, you know, June 20th, we're going to sit down or April 20th, uh, more relevant here. We're going to sit down and schedule a conversation about cannabis. Teens don't want to be lectured to. But for, teen, for parents to say, I heard a podcast, I listened to this podcast. And you know what? I was listening to two people talk about cannabis and its effects, son, daughter, Child, what do you think about that? What have you heard? What are your friends hearing? That's where you open up the dialogue. Shutting them down right away by saying, you, you know, Johnny, you don't use cannabis, right? It's very hard for them, the, the teenager, to come back and say, no, actually, mom, I do use. It's better to have a conversation. You may not know today or tomorrow if your teenager is using. It may take a, a few conversations. But to have that safe environment to be able to say, I learned. I learned about your brain. I learned about your lungs from listening to this podcast. I learned a little bit about marketing. And, you know, I would love to hear your perspective. Teach me. What do you know? And let me tell you why I'm concerned about it. That opens up that dialogue. It empowers young people. And then to talk about stress and coping and brain development. You know, Johnny, Sally, I, I, I learned about stress and coping. You know, I don't know if you're using, but if you are, and, or if you're just feeling stressed out, let's talk about ways that I can help you with your stress rather than you turning to drugs, because that's important. Right. 
April 20th, Let's Talk Cannabis, a uh, campaign to parents. And uh, let's show uh, our High Truth listeners a little video called Keep Trying, a um, message to adults that they really do have a lot of power on their children and they should not give up. So let's watch. Hey, can I ask you something? It's not about all the times your teen shuts you down. It's about the times they don't. Believe it or not, you're still their biggest influence. Having ongoing conversations with your teens about the risks of cannabis cuts their chance of future misuse. Hey, can I ask you something? I guess. Ask questions and take time to listen to their experiences. Find more helpful tools at letstalkcannabis.cdph.ca.gov. Um... Great, great video, important messaging to parents. They do have influence. Yes, they do. They do. And parents want to talk to their to their teenagers. They just don't know how. And so empowering parents to do so is really important. And, and parents to talk as a group, you know, to all the friends in a group and to have that that dialogue is really important. When I when I talk to and I have uh, young adult children myself, when I talk to them and they'll say, yeah, mom, when you would sit down and have an honest conversation with me, that was important. It's also important. I am a parent. A lot of you listening are parents. Of course, we're not happy if we find out that our children are engaging in a behavior that makes us concerned, including using cannabis. But now is not the time to have the lecture of how Know, they were doing something bad. It's not, it's not them. It's the behavior. It's not them. It's getting them help. It's preventing. Those are the kinds of dialogues that we really need to have that's most effective because otherwise they're going to shut down. If you just right away either assume they're not using or assume they are using with and without empowering them to be honest with you and say, look, I'm not going to be happy if you're using, I'm hoping you're not, but if you are, let's discuss it and think about how we can keep you healthy. That's a message that young people are going to listen to a lot more. And it's really, it's all around us. It's like tobacco. It's like when everybody was smoking, um, I think, you know, marijuana use is less than tobacco was, um, but still it's the same type of messaging. They're, they're seeing it. Um, they know about it, whether they're using it or not, it's time to have a conversation. The other conversation I had talked to when I when I reach pay, parents is to, um, I don't know if you use this in your strategy, it's called different things, having some type of out or purple emoji or whatever signal that parents have with their kids, that if you get a text with a purple emoji or whatever you come up with, you get a, a free pass for your parents to come pick you up, take you out of whatever uncomfortable situation you're in, no questions asked. You're not going to be grilled, like, who were you with? What were you doing? What happened? You just get a free out at three in the morning, um, a, a ride home um, with whatever excuse, like, you know, grandma's sick or, you know, sorry, my mom, you know, wants to be home. This was a great party, but I have to, I have to leave. Um, so you could save face and, and, and get out. So I think that that's, you know, another uh, way to empower uh, parents and kids together to, to get out of a situation that they're uncomfortable with. And it's funny, I, I speak almost verbatim to parents the same way that you just said it and articulated it so beautifully. Absolutely. And I would say that to my own kids when they were younger, you know, you know, generally I would allow you to do something if you call me and say, am I allowed to do this? Um, or I'm, I'm in this kind of situation, then I would say to them, 
I knew that that was a sign that they probably didn't want to be there and they wanted me to get them out of it. And I had that same, I, I often say to parents, have a contract. It could be a verbal contract. It could be a written contract that's, you know, here are the rules. Here's the expectations, but also here's how to keep you safe. And that's the most important. So if you are out at a, at a party and you need to come home, I'm happy to play the bad person as, as your mom or your dad or your caregiver. Just let me know. I love the idea of an emoji or anything that signals that 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 student, that young person needs to, to be plucked out of that situation in a way. And I completely agree. No questions asked. Uh, we're not going to be upset. We need just need to get you home. We need to be able to know that you're safe. And, and that also empowers young people to be more honest with, with the parent or with another adult to be able to be honest, to tell them what they need. And that's also where we open up that in dialogue and empower young people. Yeah. How old are your kids? Uh, so mine are 22 and 26. Actually, by the time I should say, actually, by the time they re show this, they are 22 and 27. Ah, very nice. Well, yeah, my my baby is uh, 22, almost 23. So about about the same. Yeah. Uh, and, 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 and they've had that that dialogue as well. What about when parents are using themselves? A lot of um, adults are using cannabis products themselves. How can how do you bridge that? And let's talk cannabis when when the parents are using. So when I talk to parents, you know, it, it, it's one of the things I say is don't lie. If you say, oh no no, I never use, but teenagers know a lot more than than then we give them credit for knowing and they know a lot more even than we do. So often teenagers can smell it. And even in the form of a vape where it smells like chocolate or candy or whatever, um, it, it you, a lot of teenagers are still aware. So it's really important to not lie, especially if you're using it in the house, but to have the conversation that's an honest conversation with them of, look, if I am using, I am significantly over age 25 um, and my brain is fully developed. Hopefully you as a parent, if you are using or not using under the uh, using cannabis while you're driving or operating heavy machinery or babysitting or anything that could put anybody in harm's way. So that's really important. And you could stress that with, with your child, but also just saying that part of why uh, you, you're able to use is that you are over 25 and your brain's fully developed and you're not as worried about addiction or memory or other issues that might be evolved and be harmful that we see when we're seeing a teenager using these products. I love that you use 25, the science age, rather than 21, uh, the legal age. You know, that's important too. I've been part of a lot of the Tobacco 21 or Cannabis 21. And Really, you're absolutely right. The the our brains continue till 25, and and that's why actually in our curriculums, our cannabis awareness and prevention toolkit curriculum, as for schools, we don't have an age in there, and we certainly don't say age 21. That is a legal age, and a lot of but the science does say through 25, even 26, that the brain continues to develop. You know, if you think about it, it's only the insurance industry that got the age 25 correct, right? Everybody else has got age 21. And part of it is it's hard to do a policy for anybody all the way up through 25. But the brain continues to develop. And so it's really, really important. And, and I've heard some schools say, 
you know, to teenagers in class, oh, you can wait till you're 21, then you can use. And I go, yeah, no, that's still a really, really vulnerable period. And and I I wouldn't even say wait till you're 25 and go have a good time either, because there still are health effects. There's brain or or, um, certainly maybe not as much addiction, but certainly some memory at the time, but also heart and lungs and other things that we worry about. Right. It's not about legal. It's about health and informed decision, right? It's about, Absolutely. you know, protection. It's not whether it's Absolutely. legal or not, right? Right. I totally agree. And and if you're under if you're under 25, those decisions are more difficult to make if you are using substances, but those health effects can still be there at any age. You're just lessening it. And I know you have a lot of experience in dealing with this from background in tobacco and alcohol. Um, and it really all applies to the issues of cannabis. And I wonder if we could have a conversation about stigma, because there's a, a national campaign to uh, prevent stigma to people who have a substance use disorder and need treatment. But when I look about prevention, and when I use tobacco as a wonderful model of how we were able to get our country um, to smoke less. Uh, We've done a great job in the United States, better than most areas of the world. We use stigma. It's not cool to smoke. Um, it was, it's a deterrent. Uh, remember, I remember Brooke Shields' beautiful model saying, do you want to kiss an ashtray? It's, it's, you know, that was used as a deterrent, um, stigmatizing the drug, the tobacco, not the person who has an addiction to nicotine. And, and I'm wondering, uh, what's the current thought about, uh, issues of stigma and, and prevention? Yeah, it, it's it's so incredibly important. It, it, it's why when we talk to parents and we say, you know, be upset with the drug and the behavior and not the person, it, it, um, it has to do with marketing. It has to do with so many other reasons why teenagers are using peer pressure and so on. And right now, it is it, it is not cool to smoke. Unfortunately, it has become more normative to vape anything, to use an e-cigarette with nicotine, to use an e-cigarette with cannabis. That's become more normalized. Now, when I say normalized, we're still not seeing everybody using any of these products. We're still not seeing 100% of teens using cannabis. Of course not. Uh, you know, it's somewhere that the latest data from, from the California uh, data show that it's about 16% of 11th graders who are using. So it's certainly not everybody. Some data suggests maybe 30%, depending on the data set and, and where we're going, uh, how it's been collected. But it's still... 70, 50 to 70 to 80% of teens are not using and certainly not using regularly. The problem is, is that when these products become more normalized, when they become legal, when they become more normalized, people think that that is equated with it's healthy or it is authorized or it's approved and therefore it's it's okay to use. And that is not at all the case. So whether it's legal or not, and we know in California and other states that have legalized cannabis, it is for 21 and over. Again, the brain continues to be 20 until you're 25 or 26. The legal age is 21. But um, but it still doesn't mean that it's healthy or okay for your body to be using these things. So in terms of stigma, now, when something is not, um, when something's more normalized, it becomes more destigmatized, which is good. 
stigmatizing something is is bad. We don't want teens are already struggling enough with mental health. Well, I, I don't, we don't want to stigmatize people. We don't want to, right. We don't want to stigmatize people. Absolutely. Absolutely. We do not want to stigmatize people. What we want to be able to do is say the industry, and this is what happened with tobacco. We're able to say that the tobacco industry is targeting you. The cannabis industry is targeting you. If you look at the marketing, the marketing is targeting youth, people of color, LGBTQ, more vulnerable populations, priority populations, And so what we want to do is be upset with the industry and want to be able to come and say, look, that is not healthy. That is something that's being targeted to me. They're not being honest. When you look at a cannabis vape, for example, it's not always clear that there's cannabis in there. We're not clear about how much THC. That's not being regulated. That's not being honest. So we need to really, in order to work on destigmatizing, we need to destigmatize the individuals, destigmatize substance use disorders, addiction, dependence, whatever you want to call it. That is not what we should be stigmatizing. We should be pointing fingers out and going after the industry for targeting our young people and getting them addicted. Yeah. And especially, you know, thinking about California, um, it was, um, marijuana was approved medically in 1996. What was sold in dispensaries in 1996 does not even exist now. Um, this is not what the Californians voted for. They did not vote for shatters and vapes that are 98% THC and genetically engineered even marijuana plant with higher potency. Um, again, I don't think that that the public even realize that this uh, by by legalizing it, there would be this normalization, commercialization, retail, and change in the product itself. Um, which is why I every single day, as an emergency physician, I treat people with cannabis poisoning every shift. You're absolutely right. And when when we talk about through our for example, through our Cannabis Awareness and Prevention Toolkit, our curriculums for elementary, middle, and high school students, we talk about the different kinds of products and the THC levels. Teenagers don't understand how high the THC level is. Like you're saying, 98% dabbing, 80 to 90% THC level. It's not your grandma's THC. Uh, today, I think I think some calculations are one joint today is equivalent to about 10 or more joints when, when uh, you know, back in the 1980s and 1990s, even before then. And teens don't understand how much THC is in there. They're absolutely not aware they're also not aware with something like edibles that it does not get through your brain as quickly and you don't actually become high as fast. And edibles are very common and you see them advertise a lot or young people joking about, oh, let's just, you know, drop a gummy. Well, yeah. How many, how many kids in California were there incidences kind of like a, like a, I mean, not a school shooting event, but a, a mass casualty event at a school because kids got into the gummies that's not okay they got and they're young and younger and that's the other piece and when we're talking about parents you know safe storage of these products for parents as well 
fear a parent using edibles or using any infused uh, food or drink that's infused with cannabis, keeping them away from your kids, particularly younger kids, because they smell and they taste good to a lot of people. And they don't realize that there's THC in there. They don't realize how much THC is in there and they'll use and they'll become sick. And, and this has been another problem that we try to teach young people is that one, don't don't be manipulated to take something, to take a brownie at a party or gummies or something. If you don't know what's in there, make sure you know what's in there and realize that the amount of THC may not be obvious, or you may be taking a bite or an edible and not realize that it could take 15 to 20 minutes to feel the effects or longer. And you don't feel the effects right away. So you keep taking more and more. And then you wind up in the emergency room because you've had too much. And people do not understand that. Yeah, I had to laugh like in a sarcastic laugh last year when there was a huge campaign about limiting flavored uh, vapes and tobacco while you got all these candies and sweets um, and drinks with cannabis products that are much more potent. Yeah, um, I mean, both are important to to get rid of. We need them yeah. all. And, and, and but the irony of it, it it is very ironic, absolutely. And and when you're talking about cannabis, it, it's 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 you know a, a vaping product is sort of within, but you don't pick it up. But we're necessarily saying, oh, it's sure. I mean, you pick up a brownie, you're eating a brownie that also has cannabis in it, and and how much is in there, you don't necessarily know, and that's that is a problem. Yeah. And the other thing we we're kind of talking about in this uh, campaign is uh, very focused on the issue of anxiety, depression. We really have a mental health uh, crisis in our youth um, and um, even in, in adults as, as well across the country, actually, in the emergency departments. The number one problem is boarding patients who are living for days and weeks in our emergency department with mental health uh, crisis. And cannabis is a contributor uh, risk factors. We know that um, tobacco can cause cancer, lung disease, emphysema. People understand that risk. Similarly, not everyone who uses marijuana is going to get schizophrenia, but it's a risk factor just in a similar way. I think that's another message that we need to, to get out. Maybe not as powerful as you know protecting your mind, but it, it's definitely a risk. Oh, it's absolutely a risk. And we actually had um, a psychiatrist speak to us last year in our cannabis conference and a psychiatrist, Dr. Um, Robin Murray from the UK, he actually thinks it's causative. He actually feels very strongly yeah. that there's a causal relationship between cannabis use and schizophrenia, particularly for those who are more prone, who have had a, a family history of schizophrenia or other mental health issues. But I agree. And, and I have actually found, I'm not a big fan of scare tactics uh, because you tell a, a teenager, you know, if you, if you use cannabis X can happen and X does not happen and they don't believe you. So, but it's important to tell them the things that can happen, but to make sure and say it in a way that look, it may not, but boy, that is not an outcome you want to risk. That is not something that you want to go through. And you don't want your family and friends to have to go through that either. And so just to have, again, that open dialogue, but I think talking about mental health and talking about how self-medicating is not the way to help your mental health is so important. Young people think that taking that hit makes them feel good. 
when in reality, it makes them not feel bad anymore. It, it reduces the withdrawal symptoms. It hides things, but they're not actually feeling better. They're not actually healing. And, and that's a hard thing to tell people when, they're, when they are having that positive experience or they're perceived positive. So our job is to demystify a lot of that information for them. Yes, Sir Arthur Murray was on this podcast as well as his wife, Dr. Marta DeForte, and they did the uh, huge study in, in comparing Amsterdam, London, Paris, places where they had high potency, greater than 10% THC, and showed that in those areas, um, the incidence of chronic schizophrenia, chronic psychosis or schizophrenia um, was higher, and that if those areas did not have those high-potency products, there would be that much less um, schizophrenia in the population. So that was that is very important. Uh, um, you know, that's part of the science. And I like the fact that you, you know, mentioned earlier about the social norms. Most kids don't use um, marijuana. That is a social norm and promoting that allows, um, you know, people who are not using not to feel bad, like be quiet um, and, and empowers their voice and shows them that that is the norm. So I think that's all great messaging. And uh, as we wrap up, um, Dr. Halpern Felsher, tell us what your final message and advice to parents, to teachers, to young adults um, about uh, drugs, tobacco, marijuana, psychedelics. We got all sorts of things going on here in our country. Yeah, so I would say most important, most important, honestly, is to just talk, just talk. Teens tell us if parents, healthcare providers, other adults don't talk. The, about these drugs and they think that they're safe and they think they're fine. So open the dialogue and emphasize the dialogue. It is not a lecture. It is having a conversation. It's empowering young people to be part of that conversation. It's their bodies. We have to trust them to have that conversation with us. We have to really bring to them the information that they need to hear and not scare them, but have an honest dialogue about the brain and starting with the brain. We need to protect our brains as an adolescent. Your brains are fantastic. There's such good things that your brain's trying to do, but let's not hijack those brains by putting drugs into it. And then to talk about the other effects on the body. And it, it's it's smart and, a good, and important to say these Health effects may not happen today, they may not happen tomorrow, they may not happen at all, they may not happen for a while, but we want to protect you. I don't want to risk having asthma or hyperemesis or schizophrenia, and you shouldn't either. So let's really talk about some of the outcomes that can happen, and then let's talk about better ways to deal with stress and coping than turning to drugs. I think those are the big messages that we need to be having and that all adults and teenagers need to be having with each other. That's great. Thank you. Great advice. And I want to say thank you to Albert Molina. Um, your tagline for your email is washing one's hand of conflict between the powerful and the powerless means to side with the powerful, not to be neutral. Um, I think that that's a great message. You're definitely doing that. You're on the right side of history on this issue, Albert. So thank you so much for your strong message and and your work. And thank you, Dr. Bonnie Halpern Felsher, for a mindful conversation, a great discussion on April 20th to protect the mind, our brains, our future, our health, and important messaging. And thank you to the California Department of Public Health and Education for these great campaigns. We need more of them. We need more primary prevention. Uh, upstream approach um, is a way to go and to approach uh, this issue to protecting our children, our future. 
Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to High Truths on Drugs and Addiction, where national experts bring you facts and answer your questions. This week's episode would not be possible without the generous support of our sponsor. A sincere and warm thank you to Isaac, the International Academy on the Science and Impact of Cannabis, doctors educating on the harms of marijuana. Visit isaacone.org, that's I-A-S-I-C-1.org, to view their library that translates medical journals for public understanding, listen to their speaker series, and follow the science on marijuana. High Truth producer is Dave Rivas from Davey Boy Productions. I am your host, Dr. Oneet Lev. We hope we brought your day a little bit more High Truths. Thank you.